0: Numbers 26, 1 through 27, 11. We are working our way through the book of Numbers, and you will notice today, um, as we read through 26, that we're reading yet another census. Maybe you were here with us back in April, um, when we did the first census. The, the people were numbered the first time as well. Um... And that was 40 years ago. That was, that was, there's been 40 years between these two censuses. Um, and maybe it feels like we've been, you know, you and I have been in the book of Numbers for 40 years as well. I don't know. Um, it's only been a few months. We're almost done. As we read through the second census, as we read through Numbers 26, I want you to listen for a couple of things. All right? I'm going to read right along. All right? I, I, I'm going to read right along, but as, as you're reading with me and as you're listening, listen for a couple of things. Keep your eye out for a couple of things. One, I want us to see the consequences of sin. I want us to see just how much damage sin does. I mean, the, the fact that we have to do this second census shows us just how much damage sin does. Because we had that first census, we had that first group of people, and they were gonna go into the promised land, but then, but then their sin kept them out. And, and that first generation died in the wilderness. That first generation, the ones that God had rescued from Egypt, the, the, the ones who'd gone through the Exodus, the, the, they'd seen all of the, the plagues and the miracles and the deliverance, and yet they turned their back on God, and, and they died in the wilderness. And so now, that generation has died out. Almost all of them have died out. And so now we have this this second census. So I want you to to think about that and realize that this census is filled with reminders of the consequences of sin. But it's also just shot through, just filled with the, the grace of God. And the truth that God keeps His promises. So I want you to be on the lookout for that as well. Just as we read this chapter 26, and in the first eleven verses of 27, I want us to, I want us to hear the consequences of sin. And the, and the grace of God, the promise-keeping grace of God. Let's read together. Numbers 26, verse one. After the plague. The Lord said to Moses and to Eleazar the son of Aaron, the priest, take a census of all the congregation of the people of Israel from 20 years old and upward by their father's houses, all in Israel who are able to go to war. And Moses and Eleazar the priest, spoke with them in the plains of Moab by the Jordan at Jericho, saying, take a census of the people from 20 years old and upward, as the Lord commanded Moses, The people of Israel who came out of the land of Egypt were Reuben, the firstborn of Israel, the son of the sons of Reuben, of Hanak, the the clan of the Hanakites, of Palu, the clan of the Paluites, of Hezron, the clan of the Hezronites, of Carmi, the clan of the Carmites. Those are these are the clans of the Reubenites, and those listed were forty three thousand seven hundred and thirty. And the sons of Palu, Eliab, the sons of Eliab, Nemuel, Dathan, and Abiram. Uh, these are the, and this is another one, listen for these, these little reminders of the, 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 the consequences of sin. These are the Dathan and Abiram chosen from the congregation who contended against Moses and Aaron in the company of Korah when they contended against the Lord and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed them up together with Korah when that company died, when the fire devoured 250 men and they became a warning. But the sons of Korah did not die. We're gonna get back, back to that in a little while. It's really good news. But the sons of Korah did not die, verse 11. Verse 12, the sons of Simeon, according to the clans of Nemuel, the clans of the Nemuelites, of, of Jamin, the clans of the Jaminites, of and, the clans of the Jechenites, of Zerah, the clan of the Zerahites, of Shaul, the clan of the Shaulites, these are the clans of the Simeonites, 22,200. Now that's a low number. Um, and if you remember from Colin's sermon last week, the, the, the sin that Colin preached about last week in Numbers 25, it started in the clan of, of the Simeonites. It started, uh, it started in the tribe of Simeon. Probably most of them were, most of the 24,000 that died were Simeonites. That's where it started. And so their, their, their tribe is a lot lower now. It's like another hint at the consequences of sin. The sons of Gad, according to their clans, in verse 15, of, of Zephon, the clan of the Zephonites, of Haggai, the, cl- the clan of the Haggites, of Shuni, the clan of the Shunites, of Ozni, the clan of the Oznites, of Eri, the, the clan of the Erites, of Arod, the, the clan of the Eridites, of Ereli, Ar- really? Yeah, really? The clan of the Ar- Araelites, these are the clans of the sons of Gad as they were listed 40,500. The sons of Judah were Ur and Onan, and Ur and Onan died in the land of Canaan. And the sons of Judah, according to their clans, were the, of Sheila, the, the clans of the Shelahites, or Shelahites, sorry, of Peraz, the, the, the clan of the Perizzites, of Zerah, the clan of the Zerahites, and the, and the clans of Peraz were of Hezron, the clan of the Hezronites, of Hamul, the clan of the Hamulites. These are the clans of Judah as they were listed 76,500. The sons of Issachar, according to their clans of Tola, the clans of the Tolites, of Puva, the clan of the Punites, the, of, uh, Jashub, the clan of the Jashubites, of Shimron, the clan of the Shimronites, these are the clans of Issachar as they were listed, 64,300. The sons of Zebulun, according to their clans of Sered, the clan of the Seredites, of Elon, the clan of the Elonites, of Jahil, the, the clan of the Jahilites, these are the clans of the Zebulites as they were listed, 60,500. The sons of Joseph, according to their clans, Manasseh and Ephraim. The sons of Manasseh, of Maker, the son, the clan of the Makerites, and Maker was the father of Gilead. Of Gilead, the clan of the Gileadites, these are the sons of Gilead, of Aizer, the, the, the clan of the Azerites, of Halak, the clan of the Halakites, and of Azrael, the, the, the clan of the Azraelites, and of Shechem, the clan of the Shechemites, and of Shemitah, the clan of the Shema, Shemadites. of, of the, and of Hefer, the clan of the Heferites. Now, Zilaphi we're gonna get to these ladies in a second um, in verse 27 now zelophehad the son of hepher had no sons but daughters and the names of the daughters of zelophehad were mala noah hagla milkah and turzah and they were unmarried and i can tell why i mean these names are awful uh, so these are the clans of manasseh uh, your name is hagla i i sorry we can I call you something? No? Else? No? Okay. These were the clans of Manasseh, verse 34, and those listed were 52,700. These are the sons of Ephraim, according to their clans of Shuthalah, the clan of the Shuthalahites, Shuthalahites of Becker, the clan of the Beckerites of Tehan, the, the clan of the Tehanites. These are the sons of Shuthalah, of Aaron, the clan of the Aaronites. These are the clans of the sons of Ephraim, as they were listed, 32,500. These are the sons of Joseph, according to their clans. The sons of Benjamin, according to their clans, of Belah, the clan of the Belites, of Ashbel, the clan of the Ashbelites, of Ahiram, the clan of the Hiramites. I was looking forward to this one. Of Shafufam, the clan of the Shafufamites, of, of Hufam, the clan of, it makes me want to go home and read Dr. Seuss to my children, uh, the, the clan of the Hufamites, and the sons of Bela were Ard and Naaman, and of Ard, the clan of the Ardites, of Naaman, the clan of the Namites, these are the sons of Benjamin, according to their clans, and those listed were 45,600. These are the sons of Dan, according to their clan, of, of Shuham, the clan of the Shuhamites, these are the clans of Dan, according to their clans, and all the clans of the Shuhamites, as they were listed, were 64,400. The sons of Asher, they their clans of Imnah, the clan of the Imnites, of Ishvi, the clan of the Ishvites, of Bariah, the clan of the Bariites, of the, of the sons of Beriah; of Heber, the clan of the Heberites, of Malkiel, the, the clan of the Malkielites, and the name of the daughter of Asher was Sarah. These are the clans of the sons of Asher, as they were listed, 53,400. The sons of Naphtali, according to their clans, of Jaziel, the clans of the, the clan of the Jehuzelites, of, of Guni, the clan of the Gunites, of Jezer, the clan of the Jezerites, of Shilam, the clan of the Shilamites. These are the clans of Naphtali, according to their clans. And those listed were 45,400. This, this was the list of the people of Israel, 601,730. Why did you read all that, Steve? Why did you read all that? Well, because it's the word of God, and that's more important than, than my words, um, and and also because this is the grace of God to these people 601,000 is 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 almost as many people as they had 40 years earlier in the first census God is taking care of his people do they deserve it no is God keeping his promises to his people yes he is this is what God does this these this 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 list of these clans it is shot through with these reminders that God judges sin, but it also is shot through with reminders that God keeps His promises to His people. He says, I'm going to take you into that promised land. You are my people. I have chosen you. I love you. You're mine. And you're going to get into that land. It's God's grace. Verse 52, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, and I love this, Among these, the land shall be divided for inheritance according to the number of names. This is why the names matter. The numbers matter. The family sizes matter. This is why it matters. Verse 54, because God has a very specific plan for His people. Verse 54, to a large tribe you shall give a large inheritance, and to a small tribe you shall give a small inheritance. Every tribe shall be given its inheritance in proportion to its list, but the land shall be divided by lot according to the names of the tribes of their Fathers, they shall inherit. Their inheritance shall be divided according to lot between the larger and the smaller. This was the list of the Levites, according to the clans of Gershon, the the clan of the Gershonites of Kohath, the clan of the Kohathites of Merari, the clan of the Merarites. These are the clans of Levi, the clan of the Libnites, the clan of the Hebronites, the clan of the Malites, the clan of the Mushites, the clan of the Korahites. And Kohath was the father of Amram. The name of Amram's wife was Jochebed, the daughter of Levi, who was born to Levi in Egypt, and she bore to Amram Aaron and Moses and Miriam their sister. And to Aaron was born Nadab, Abihu, Eleazar, and Ithamar. But Nadab and Abihu died when they offered unauthorized fire before the Lord. And those listed were 23,000 every male from a month up a month old and upward, for they were not listed among the people of Israel because there was no inheritance given to them among the people of Israel. The Levites didn't get land. Their inheritance was God himself. These were those listed by Moses and Eliezer the priest who listed the people of Israel in in the plains of Moab by the Jordan at Jericho, but among those who was not one of those listed by Moses and Aaron the priest who had listed the people of Israel in the wilderness of Sinai, for the Lord had said of them, this is Moses and Aaron, they shall die in the wilderness. Not one of them was left except Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, and Joshua, the son of Nun. Joshua and Caleb are the only ones left of the leaders of the fathers from that that first time when they were supposed to go into the land. So that's that first census. Now for the next 11 11 verses, I want us to be introduced to to these daughters of Zelephihad. These daughters of Zelephihad. Listen to their story. Then drew near the daughters of Zelephihad, the sons The son of Hefer, son of Gilead, son of Maker, son of Manasseh, from the clans of Manasseh, the sons of Joseph, the name, the son of Joseph, the names of his daughters were Mala, Noah, Hagla, Milcah, and Terzah. And they stood before Moses, and before Eliezer the priest, and before the chiefs, and all the congregation, at the entrance of the tent of meeting, saying, Our father died in the wilderness. He was not among the company of those who gathered themselves together against the Lord, in the company of Korah, but died of his own, for his own sin. And he had no sons. Why should the name of our father be taken away from his clan? Because he had no son. Give to us a possession among our father's brothers. Moses brought their case before the Lord. And the Lord said to Moses, The daughters of Zelophehad are right. You shall give them possession of an inheritance among their father's brothers and transfer the inheritance of their father to them. And you shall speak to the people of Israel, saying, If a man dies and has no son, then you shall transfer his inheritance to his daughter. And if he has no daughter, then you shall give his inheritance to his brothers. And if he has no brothers, then you shall give his inheritance to his father's brothers. And if his father has no brothers, then you shall give his inheritance to the nearest kinsman of his clan, and he shall possess it. And it shall be for the people of Israel a statute and rule as the Lord commanded Moses. feels like we've had a sermon, but we haven't. We're going to pray, and then we're going to have our sermon. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. And we pray that as we look at it this morning, you will teach us and you will grow us in your grace. We have, we have very simple, straightforward points from your word. This is a sh- simple, straightforward sermon. There's not going to be anything here that, that we haven't heard before. But I pray as we see it now in the lives of these daughters of Zila Fihad, as we see, as we see it in Your Word, in these daughters, I pray that, God, You will stir us to be people of conviction. Help us this morning. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> this story, these daughters of Zila Fihad, they... They urge us to ask ourselves, are we people of conviction? Am I a person of conviction? When we say conviction, we mean a a firmly held belief. A, A conviction is something that we just believe. We are just sure that is absolutely true. What are your convictions? when it is time to make a decision or, or choose a, a course of action, when it's time for us to say, here's what I'm going to do. what when, when, when that happens, and it happens to us in big ways and small ways all the time, we're always making decisions. We're always plotting a course of action. We're always thinking on our feet and deciding what we're going to do, how we're going to respond. When, when those times come... What kind of convictions guide us? As we look at the, the, these, these daughters of Zila Fihad here, we're gonna see three important convictions. We're not gonna see the time where they, where they huddle up and say, this is what we believe to be true, so this is what we're gonna do. Instead, we're gonna see these convictions come out in the way that they live. Because that's where our convictions come out, by the way. I, um, I meet with a few guys on Thursday mornings um, at 6 a.m., and which is just a stupid time, but we, we, we meet 6 a.m. Thursday mornings. And the three guys I meet with, they're all, all three of them are, are smarter than me, I mean, everybody is smarter than me at 6 a.m., but I mean, these guys are, no matter what time of day it would be. Um, but then again, we meet at 6 a.m., so how smart are any of us, really? Uh, I don't know. Anyhow, I was, but I, every time I meet with them, I learn something. Um, and I, and I, and, and I, 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 I have a new way, because they're all three of them are teachers, and so all three of them are, have just years of explaining stuff to people who, like me, need stuff explained to them, right? Um, and um, one of them said this past Thursday that our convictions are like are like dominoes. What we hold to be true are like dominoes. You you set you set the dominoes up right, and you you know you've all seen where you you set a whole bunch of dominoes up and you knock one over and they all fall over and it's cool right? And it's it's kind of neat. You you set all the dominoes up, and so I've always thought that. The domino was I. I'm going to obey the word of God. The word of God is the ultimate authority, and if I if I lose that, if that domino gets knocked over, then all kinds of stuff falls in my life. I suddenly become okay with all kinds of stuff. There's all kinds of ruin and devastation and bad decisions because because I slipped up on the authority of Scripture. But then the, 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 one of the guys we were, he was talking, he said, well actually the dominoes work both ways though. They work both ways. You come into a situation, maybe you have a really good friend who, who has decided that they're, they're, they're gonna be a homosexual or a lesbian. So in that moment you have to decide, am I gonna be okay with this? Or am I going to speak the truth and and risk looking like a judgmental jerk? Which way am I going to go on this? Because if the domino falls the other way, then we lose all kinds of stuff the other way, right? And eventually the authority of scripture gets knocked down. Most of the time, when people turn away from the authority of the Bible... It's not because they had some big theological decision back here where they said, oh, the Bible's just not true anymore. And not. Most of the time, it happens in real life. Not in some theoretic dis- discussion, not some philo- philosophical, theological discussion, but it happens in real life where they just find Scripture to no longer be tenable. I just can't believe that. I can't believe God would be that narrow-minded. I can't believe God would be that bigoted, that judgmental. I just, I refuse to believe that. And so once we f- refuse to believe that, we start refusing to believe all kinds of stuff, right? These, these ladies, these daughters of Zilofi Fihad with the unfortunate names, they're going to, um, they're going to show us in the, in the moment what it looks like to be people of conviction. What, what are we going to believe in the moment? Not in these 6 a.m. theological discussions, that's easy there. But in the moment. What are our convictions? So there's three that they show us here. Three convictions that we see in these in these verses. Number one, first conviction, we see sin does terrible damage. This is something we must believe, because it's not always readily apparent. It's not always, it's not always visibly true to us, so we have to believe it. We have to have this conviction that sin does terrible damage. This is why we were looking at that in Numbers chapter 26. We were looking for it because it was a, it was, it was something that God just, God just uh, had recorded over and over and over in that chapter so that we would see it. This is the world that the daughters of Zilofi had lived in. This is the world they lived in. They saw the generation before them die in the wilderness. They saw it. They, 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 don't have to, they didn't have to memorize the verse, the wages of sin brings death. They knew wages of sin is death. They knew it. That verse was real to them because they had been there as as they were burying people that they loved. Aunts, uncles, their father. Right? They don't pull any punches when they're talking about their dad. They're in, in chapter 27. Chapter 27, verse 3. They said, our father died in the wilderness... And, and, and he was not among the company of those who gathered themselves together against the Lord in the company of Korah, but died for his own sin. We don't know what the sin was, but these daughters aren't rewriting their father's biography to make himself, make him look better. You know, we've all been at funerals, which are a little bit tricky because you're there and everybody's saying nice thing, but they don't mean any of it. You know, they're like, they're like looking for something nice to say and it's this weird, it's this weird thing. You know, it's just, it's interesting, you know. Well, he, he worked hard. Yeah, he worked hard at being a jerk. You know, that's not—I mean, you you have to say the rest of it. But so they're not going to—they're not going to sugarcoat their dad's history, their dad's story, right? They're going to say, "Our dad died in the wilderness because he sinned. He sinned. Put that on ancestry.com. That's what happened. How'd your dad die? He died in the wilderness because he sinned. So they're not messing around. They're not trying to." trying to sugarcoat anything. they're saying we understand sin does terrible damage. Sin does terrible damage. See they're in this weird situation in numbers chapter 27. they're, they're in this weird situation where the, the traditional rules were um, you, if, if your dad dies then the, then the sons inherit the land. The sons inherit the land, and if if there are no sons around, then the the dad's brothers inherit the land. The unmarried daughters get nothing. If they get married and their father's alive, then they get a dowry. They 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 they, uh, they they get what their husband would get. They but in this time, in this culture, in this day, if they're an unmarried daughter to someone to a dad who dies, they you know they wouldn't have gotten anything. And they understand they are in this situation because of their dad's sin. They understand that the core problem here is sin. And they're not messing around about that. This is, this is something we have to hold fast to in our own life. When we're, when we're speaking um, about people who've come before us or we're speaking about our own, our own self and we're, we're speaking to our children or to our loved ones, when, when you know, we just have to own up and say, yeah, this, this is a problem in our lives now. These consequences in our lives now. This damage is in our lives now because of my sin. I sinned. It was wrong. It was wrong. This is what sin does. Sin brings trouble. Sin brings consequences. This is a conviction they just had within them. This is one of the wisest things we can do is just hold on to an understanding of how devastating sin is. Don Carson says, if if God had perceived that our greatest need was economic, He would have sent us an economist. If He had perceived that our greatest need was entertainment, He would have sent us a comedian or an artist. If God had perceived that our greatest need was political stability, He would have sent us a politician. If He had perceived that our greatest need was health, He would have sent us a doctor. But He perceived that our greatest need was our sin, our alienation from Him, our our profound rebellion, our death. So He sent us a Savior. My problem isn't my health. It's not my. It's not my backstory. It's not my the, the my my upbringing. It's not a disease or a chemical imbalance or a lack of money or too much money or not enough friends or the wrong friends. It's, 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 my problem is my sin. I need Jesus. We uh, talk. Man, this is gonna be a long sermon. It's already eleven twenty-five. I'm, I'm sorry, people. Like I I'm, I'm not even close to being done. I'm not even gonna lie. You just you're gonna be here for a while because um, I'm, I'm doing this whole thing too, this whole part that's not necessary, but it's just important, so I'm going to talk about it. Um, we talk about safe spaces a lot. We talk about creating safe spaces a lot. You've got to create a safe space for that. You hear that a lot, and I don't even always know what people mean by it. I'm not going to talk about that term, because I don't really even know exactly what people mean by that. I know what I mean by it, when I, it's a, it's a good way for me to capture what I'm trying to do with my children. I want my children, especially as they get older, to be able to say stupid things out loud so I can say, no, that's stupid, right? I don't want my children to not feel safe to say stupid things because then they just go on thinking those stupid things. Does that make sense? I want to have honest conversations with my children. I want them to be, feel, be able to come to me and say, why do we do this? Why don't we do that? Here's what I think. Does the Bible say anything about this? What's wrong with that? I want my children to feel safe coming to me and saying those things to me. I don't want them to think I'm going to pounce on them and destroy them. So I want them to be able to talk. I want them to feel safe to do that. I also want them to understand in our house, in our church, everywhere we go, sinners are safe Sin isn't. When we locate sin, we're going to get after it. We're going to get after it. We're going to try to wipe it out. We're going to demand repentance. We're going to speak the truth to each other. Sinners are safe. We're all sinners. Sin isn't safe. We've declared holy war on sin. So that's the way we have to think about this. And so when I'm thinking about safe spaces, what I, here's what I'm afraid of in talking to people. I'm afraid that we have created safe spaces in our, in our hearts, and in our lives for sin. We, we harbor sin. We play nice with sin. We play nice with it. We let bitterness just sort of hang out in our hearts in our lives we justify it we say that's just kind of my personality that person deserves my bitterness they deserve my wrath we we harbor laziness we make excuses for it we we harbor lust or or greed or pride or envy we we Create safe space for it in our hearts and our lives. We have to be people of conviction. I have to be a person of conviction. You have to. We have to believe sin does terrible damage. We are going to take Jesus's, Jesus's methodology. He says, He says, if your hand offends you, cut it off. Go to war against the sin in your life. Go to war against it. Call sin what it is. Conviction number one, sin does terrible damage. Conviction number two, conviction number two, God keeps his promises. So these daughters, they didn't downplay either one of these truths. Because if we only have one without the other, we're going to end up with really bad theology. We're going to end up with, with really like, um, yeah, just a, a sketchy life as well, one way or the other. We have to believe both. One, sin does terrible damage. But two, God keeps His promises. As we worked our way through this census, as we saw firsthand the world that these daughters lived in, the world that they lived through, the the history that they, they understood, one, Sin brings all kinds of damage. But two, God keeps His promises. That's why we're having another census. God's getting ready for His people to inherit. Do they deserve it? No, but God keeps His promises. God is a, a God of grace. This census is jammed full of God's grace. I think my favorite... My favorite... I mean, it, overall, it's, it's all grace. God is getting these people ready to inherit... He's getting an army ready so that they can march in and take the promised land. So overall, it's all about God's grace, but there's a, there's a really cool part back in chapter 26 verses 9 through 11 where it says the sons of Eliab, Namuel, Dathan, and Abiram. These are the Dathan and Abiram chosen from the congregation who contended against Moses and Aaron in the company of Korah when they contended against the Lord and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed them up together with Korah. When that company died, when the fire devoured 250 men and they became a warning. Verse 11. I love verse 11. So much Gospel hope here. But the sons of Korah did not die. They didn't stand with their dad when their dad was being a moron. Their dad heard the warning. Don't do that. Cora says, "I'm going to do it anyhow." Their sons was like, "You know what? Actually, the sons of Cora were like, you know what? Actually, we're not with him. Not, I, uh, dad's gone round the bend. He's he's going crazy. We're not we're not doing that." The sons of the sons of Cora did all kinds of social distancing that day. You know what? We're just nope nope. We're not with him. We're not with him. We've seen way too much to think this is going to work out well. We're not with Him. The sons of Korah distance themselves from Korah. They don't die. God's not going to punish the sons of Korah for Korah's foolish rebellion. God's going to work the sons of Korah into His plan for His people. Um, One of my favorite psalms is Psalm 84. One of my favorite psalms is Psalm 84. I love the end of this psalm. It says, For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does He withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the one who trusts in You. The sons of Korah wrote that. Sons of Korah wrote that psalm. They watched their dad get obliterated. They wanted the grace of God. They wanted to trust in God. God preserved them. God kept His promise to His people. And the the, the sons of Korah are just a little, little snippet of that. They become trophies of God's grace. I am sure this morning that your life is more difficult right now because of someone else 's sin i 'm sure that if we compared stories, we could talk about how, how all of us have been handicapped, have been hindered by someone else 's sin our Our stories are shot through with the consequences of someone else 's sin. We are paying we are paying the price for it. I want you to understand that that God still Despite of all of that, has good gospel plans for you. If you are in Christ, then your backstory cannot stop God's grace in your life. The daughters of Zelophe had believed this. So in verse three, they say, yes, our father died because of his sin. Yes, that's absolutely what happened. But then in verse four, they say, Why should the name of our father be taken away from his clan because he had no son? Give to us a possession among our father's brothers. These daughters are living as if this inheritance is a real thing. They're convinced that God won't turn his back on them simply because their father died because of his sin. And they're not even in the land yet. Do you understand that, that the first time 40 years ago, the people, the people got so close they could see the land, but they're like, nah, I don't want it. I don't believe God is going to get us in. I don't believe we're actually going inherit, to inherit that. Let's just turn around. Let's just run away. These daughters, they're not in yet. They're not in yet. But they're already talking about how it should be divided up. They believe the promises of God. They are living like their inheritance is a real My quick question for you this morning, are you living as if your heavenly inheritance is a real thing? This is a wonderful example of faith to us. They knew that God kept His promises. And they lived like it. Then here's the third thing they knew. Here's Here's the third conviction. So not only sin brings terrible consequences and, and God keeps His promises. So when we combine those, when we remember those two things together, then, then we are left with this. This is what we must have. Number three, we must trust and obey God's Word. Sin brings devastation. God keeps His promises of grace to us. So we must trust and obey God's Word. And so these daughters, they don't, they're do not they not going to try to weasel their way into the land that the law didn't allow them to have. They didn't try to work around God and His commands. They're not going to try to rebel against Moses. They've seen over and over and over that that's not the way to go. Rebellion is not the way to go. Trying to circumnavigate God's Word is not the way to go. Trying to take matters into your own hands not the way to go. They're not going to rebel against God's man, Moses. They know they must obey God's Word because sin brings consequences. But they also believe in the grace of God. So they go to Moses and ask him if they can have the land that belonged to their father. They're unmarried. Again, I think because of their names. Hagla or whatever. Who's going to marry Hogla? No one. Don't. Name your daughter that. They're unmarried. When they get to the land, they would literally have nothing. Their father died because of his own sin. Traditional rule says they get nothing. So they're high and dry. So they turn to God for help through His servant Moses. And then God, in His grace and compassion and wisdom, He writes a new case law. He writes a new case law. There are many, many times this happens in the first five books of the Bible. Because, of course, the law of Moses that God gave to Moses didn't address every single situation that might come up. Of course it didn't. So, so these kinds of scenarios would come up. These kinds of questions would come up. And you can see, I, I, love, the way, I love the way it's worded here. Um, verse 4, Why should the name of our father be taken away from his clan because he had no son? Give to us a possession among our father's brothers... Verse 5, Moses brought their case before the Lord. He's like, I don't know. I I got nothing. That's a really good question. Hadn't thought about that one. I'm going to go to God. This is what happened many times in the Old Testament. You got me. I don't know. I'm going to go ask God. And then God in his wisdom says, yes. Yes. Yes, the daughters can have the land. They can have first dibs. If there's no sons, there's no sons. Daughters get first dibs. No daughters then we can talk to the uncles. No uncles? We can just find some dude. Right? That's basically what the... No, it, then you go on to the kinsmen, the closest, you know, it kind of spirals out from there. you got to find somebody, right? The guy didn't... He wasn't all alone. No sons? The daughters can have the land. This is just God's wisdom and grace, and it's... I, I, I'm not going to get into it. It's just another reminder. The Bible isn't anti-women. The Old Testament isn't anti-women. It's not. Stop saying that. It's stupid. But that's not the point of the sermon. But it is important to remember over and over and over and over, God shows grace to women. He loves these daughters of Zilaphihad. He wants them to inherit. He loves them. The culture back then was rough. God is gracious. This reminds us. All right. See, look at. I'm done. As we watch these women, right? As we watch them navigate this little story in their lives and, and we see, you know what, we're not gonna mess around. Sin is sin. We're not we're not gonna mess around. It would be maybe it would be better for our case. It might be better it might be better for our case, for our for our question. It might it might help us out if we would if we would downplay our dad's sin, if we wouldn't mention that he died because of his sin. Maybe we could say he died of natural causes. Maybe we could say he died because he tripped over a, a rock, and and I don't know, something happened. And well, oh boy, bummer. But they no, they're not going to not going to pretend. It, it would be better for their case, right? Probably, humanly speaking, maybe maybe Moses would have a little bit more favor, show a little more favor if they if they if they left out the part about their dad's sin. They're not going to do that. Let's not do that. That gets us nowhere. That gets us into worse trouble when we try to pretend sin's no big deal. Let's not downplay sin. But they also believe in the promises of God. They believe in the grace of God. They believe in the love of God, that He has chosen them. They're part of the people of God, that God's heart is for them. They they believe in the grace of God. Let's just hold on to both of those things. Think about what we've been given in Jesus Christ. Think about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Think about it. We, we're dead in our sins. We're the enemies of God. And God gave us His Son to pay for our sin and to, and to give us His Spirit, so that we can, we can trust Him and believe His gospel and love Him and live for Him. And we have all of the promises of God. They're all, they all find their yes and their amen in Jesus Christ. Because Jesus has saved us, God is for us. So we have the freedom in that to say, yeah, sin is, sin is bad. Other people's sin against me has been bad. My sin has been bad. It's just bad. But God's grace is bigger and goes deeper than the, than the effects of my sin. God's grace is, God's mercy to me in Jesus is deeper and wider than, than my sin. And I've been a pretty good sinner. Jesus' love is bigger and stronger and deeper and wider. And so, because all of that is true, God has opened up this new way of life for us where come what may, we say, no, you know what? I'm going to believe God's Word. I'm going to trust God's Word. I'm going to obey God's Word. Come what may, I'm going to have this conviction within me. And I'm going to get into these sticky situations where just like, man, I don't know. It seems like the... The, 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 non-judgmental loving thing would be sort of to jettison God's Word and to turn my back on it, at least just in this situation, and then I can, and then I, this would probably work out a little bit better for me if I can, if I can just ignore God's Word here, but, but God in His grace has given us Jesus who has saved us from that kind of foolishness, He's saved us from the penalty of that kind of foolishness, He's saved us from the power of that kind of foolishness, and He's helped us to believe with conviction that no, 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 no. There's nothing but damage that way. There's nothing but damage there. I'm going to, by God's grace, obey God's Word. Come what may. I'm going to find my rest and my contentment in the fact that God in His his matchless mercy and grace has saved me through His Son. I'm going to find my contentment And my courage there. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your love. We thank you for the simple story. And we thank you for these three simple points that we've all heard before in many different sermons, in many different ways. Nothing new here. And we thank you, God, that, that we don't need anything new. We need the old truth of the gospel. We need the old truth. We need the, we need old reminders. This the, the the truth that sin brings devastating consequences is as old as the Garden of Eden, and it is it is just as necessary today as it was then. The truth is just it's that, that conviction is just necessary, and we have your promise as old as the Garden of Eden is as well, older than the Garden of Eden. Your promise of grace. Help us to be people, God, who um, firmly believe. Come what may, no matter what situation arises, come what may, we're going to, because of the gospel of Jesus Christ, because you have saved us, because you've given us your spirit, because you've opened up our eyes to understand, we're we're going to trust and obey your word. Help us, God. In Jesus' name, amen.